Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Thursday, June 15th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Chase Thomas Podcast Network, Sports Renaissance Man, all that good stuff. A daily national sports show outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, on Thursdays, show here uh you know what that means it's thursday which means our national major league baseball show each and every thursday with fan graph zone john taylor we talk about the biggest stories in major league baseball this week there's a lot going on in major league baseball um man like there's just a lot to get to we couldn't even get to everything because the angels john's strongest take his take graphs take of the week on the uh los angeles angels of anaheim who are in good position to make the playoffs and go on a deep playoff run. The Astros getting killed by the injury bug, which we talked about uh, in depth and where what they can re- realistically do this summer uh, to keep this thing humming. Uh, we also talked about Salvador Perez and what his trade value is. The Royals just quietly now the worst team in baseball with the A's a little resurgent here um, of late. So a lot of fun with John talking all things Major League Baseball uh, to kick things off here on the Thursday edition of this very show. Uh, we've also got, oh yeah, we're not done. We have Jason Hart, the G League Ignite head basketball coach is here with the NBA draft uh, right around the corner. We talked to Coach Hart about uh, being the G League coach for the Ignite uh, coaching veteran like John Jenkins, Atlanta Hawks legend. Uh Leonard Miller, who uh, he compared to Lamar Odom. So uh, could the next Lamar Odom be in this draft? Uh, just so much talent all across the board with the uh, with the Ignite. And Scoot Henderson, obviously going to be a top three pick, it looks like, in the draft and just all kinds of fun. And uh, doing a full breakdown, uh, Coach Hart was awesome and kind of explaining what his skill set is, where what makes him so fun to coach, uh, to coach and um the Metropolitan 92s. So he played uh, Victor Wimbanyana and what that was like coaching um, in that game, which was just a spectacle with uh, future NBA stars all over the place. So talked about that, learning under Andy Enfield at USC, um, how he's evolved. Uh, if maybe uh, Bryce James, not Bronny going to USC uh, with Enfield, but what if uh, Bryce, uh, LeBron's um, next in line son, uh, what if he makes the, the jump to the Ignite and doesn't follow the college path and wants to jump right into uh, pro ball? What if that uh, 
is something that might be in the cards for Coach Hart and the G League Ignite. So talk about that and so much more uh, with Coach, and he was awesome. So I think you guys will like that conversation here on this edition of the program. We've also got Trill Bro Dude, uh, legend. All kinds of off-season slot for TBD and I, uh, the You Know Ball podcast and YouTube show. So check that out if you've not already done so. We talked about the Sixers, moving on from Harden, Tyrese Maxey getting a bigger role. Could he be an all-star with this team? Uh, Bradley Beal, does he make sense for Philly? Um, Daryl Morey, what his options realistically are uh, in Bede's MVP season? And then Nick Nurse taking over for Doc Rivers. So a lot, a lot of fun talking all things Sixers with TBD as always. So look out for that as we wrap up this uh, Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Just a jam-packed show for you guys today. So I think you're going to like it. Uh, covered it all. NBA, Sixers, Major League Baseball, all over the place on this national sports show here on the Chase thomas podcast as always if you're a first-time listener uh thank you so much for checking out this very program if you have not already done so um please 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 leave this show a five-star rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed as well if you enjoyed uh this episode and you think you would enjoy uh daily content from me over here on the podcast you can also check us out on youtube over a thousand uh 1.5 subscribers now on youtube as we continue growing that thing out uh man it's it's awesome how uh much that's growing on the youtube front so appreciate y'all support there but if you've not already done so make sure you check us out on youtube youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff so um yeah i think that uh that's all we've got here on this thursday edition of the program uh yeah all right uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City. Fangraphs own John Taylor. He has survived the water park. Uh, over the weekend john how much fun was that water parks i mean look i'm not as an adult a fan. as an adult you know, well that's the thing like this is the first one i think i'd been to as an adult i, I, I remember going been to, to one in yeah. youth like maybe yeah you know somewhere in that hazy like six to twelve span but like mm. it, it had been a while for me and it's there are some because de- i'd never done the big slide rides before where you get uh-huh. on the inner tube and like go down essentially a roller coaster because i think i'd mm-hmm. been too small or whatnot but now yeah. as someone who is is big uh, <laughs> i can go down those and those are actually quite fun it's it's the other part of the water park the you're constantly standing in water that's been peed in aspect mm-hmm. that i'm really not a fan of also the being wet yeah all the time i don't i don't like being wet you know i i, I kind of mm. realize i'm like a cat <laughs> in that sense i i don't you know if i have to fine but otherwise mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm i'm a little out on it so i prefer boats i think to water parks because you, yeah. you can stay dry on the boat that's true i mean is it as thrilling as a roller coaster is it as no, scary when you're no, going down because that that water park also had a small roller coaster and i rode that uh. and i was like oh this is just the this is just the best is that feeling of like oh i think i might die that doesn't really mm-hmm. happen in a water park unless something's gone terribly wrong <laughs> You know, that's like, that's not the true. point of the water park. Yeah. Also, you were. You, I don't know how you were recording with your phone. Like, was your phone just? Is it super waterproof, John? Because I'm watching no, this. It's, like, it's just the. It's just the regular uh, iPhone 14, I think. Whatever this is, with yeah. the with the just case. You know, nothing. And it would survive special. it. It was good. Yeah. I mean, if you. Uh, 
there was one point in, in one of those videos where I they just suddenly stopped recording, and I think it's because I realized at that exact moment that it's like, I may drop this thing, given yeah. what's about to come on the next turn. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't fully confident that it would stay uh, dry, but it, you know, I also felt like, as long as I don't drop this thing in the, the pee water, it should be okay. So for all the folks who, uh, this summer, with it being the middle of June now, John, all the adult uh, folks listening to mm. this very program, would you recommend adults partaking in an afternoon experience uh, at the water park? If it's a really hot day, sure. Um, mm. The place I was at, there was a, a particular uh, ride where a giant bucket of water would dump down from a great height and soak people underneath. Uh-huh. And I told my girlfriends, like, I would, do, I would, if it were a hundred degree day, I would just stand there all day, <laughs> just in that exact spot. And not let anyone move me and mm-hmm. just be like, you, can someone just at some point bring me a hamburger and just mm-hmm. keep a relatively steady flow of beers? And mm-hmm. meanwhile, I'm just going to be here. I might get a lounge chair. I'm just going to mm-hmm. be here and let the big water dump on me and I'll be happy, you know? But like otherwise... Charlie Kelly uh, in that episode way back in the day with Always Sunny where he's like, just give me a beer. He just wants to sit at the facility while they... Uh, yeah, when they're doing the tryout for, yes. uh, to be on the Eagles. Yes. He's like, this could be my whole day. I don't want to do anything else. This is it. I want to be yeah, posted like, up just, here all I'm day just long. Gonna get, I'm just going to black out and have a good time. Mm. And it's like, I could see it like, yeah, really hot day, water park, sure. Otherwise, again, it, it just depends on how much you like being wet. Yeah. And how much you like wearing a wet swimsuit constantly, which yeah. I, I don't find particularly appealing. You know, no. I like my pants being dry. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I That makes sense. Um, well, John, that naturally leads us to, uh, take graphs, take of the week here. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know if you're going to just go. Because I was going to say, sat- my, as I like my pants being dry, <laughs> not hot enough a take. To- no. Okay. It, you aren't going to get away with that one. Sorry. All right. Well, if I, if I've got to go with something that doesn't have to do with pants or water parks and it's mm. really all I prepared. So thank you. Um, I'm going to go with the fact that I think the angels need to go for it. Oh, wow. I think that they are in strong enough a position, given what their team currently is, uh, which mm. is to say actually competent for once, yeah. that, and particularly given the context, that they are 100% losing Shohei Otani this offseason. He will not return to Los Angeles, barring them winning the World Series, which, hey... Still might not even be enough. That, and still might not even be enough, but but that's the thing. Like he, Barring you winning the World Series, Shohei Otani is not coming back. So mm-hmm. you should be doing everything in your power to build the best possible team in order to do that. That should be the only goal of the Los Angeles Angels this season, is win a World Series. Because I think that's mm-hmm. the only way you convince Otani to stay. And you're right, it, it probably is not enough. Because the Dodgers, or the Yankees, or you know the, the Padres, or whoever it is, you know, is going to come to him and say, here is a 10-year, $500 million contract. And he mm-hmm. will say yes. And he will have earned it, because he is the best player on the face of the earth uh, non-Ronald Acuna Jr. division. I was going to say. Did you see that second home run, run today? Oh, my goodness. It's Barry Bonds-esque. Some of it's, these shots. He's on pace for a 35-70 season right now. Acuna's really good. He's insane. It's it's crazy, cause especially because I you know there was that definite point last season when everyone was like, oh, is recovering from an ACL injury actually not like a... Is this actually a real problem for him? And mm. nope, actually, no, he's fine. Just turns out he needed some time to recover from a very serious injury. Well, it's also funny, too, because when you look at it, everyone's like, is so and so good? Is Matt Olson good? There was a locked on praise about that. And it's just, it, it Ozzy Albies is fine. 
Uh, Austin Riley's actually kind of having a down year. Orlando Arcia has been sneaky, extremely important to the Braves. And you're Very like, important. I, I joke, but I'm like, if Ron Acuna was not in this lineup every day, I don't know where the Braves would be. But his... No, I mean, he's he's maybe... I, I does say this, this does not qualify as a take at all because I think it's the obvious and correct position, but he's the NL MVP without question. You know? Yeah. He's the most important player in the league just by virtue of, like, like you said, that lineup, as good as it is, even without him, does not work without him. Like, Michael Harris has been awful all year, part of that is injury, everything else. But Although like, he, he, I mean, he was, fan, he's looked much, much better in the last week. Right, but what, like, the, still, it's still 100, uh, what, 200? Has he gotten, no, he's at 162. Probably, like, 130 plate appearances have been quite bad uh, for Michael yeah, Harris. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for him, I think, and uh, as always, this this has turned into a brief episode of, <laughs> of Braves talk, mm-hmm. but I think for him, that lower back injury was clearly more serious than yeah. either was initially believed or initially let on. And I think the combination of that and... I Remind me, did he get hurt also in spring training? This year? Yes. I don't think so. I feel like there was a... what Regardless of what it is, he got hurt, I think, early enough in the season that he essentially reset, you know? Mm. And I'm willing to consider that, that those first... Because it's been, what, now three weeks since he's been off the injured list or so? Mm. Four weeks? I'm willing to, like... Enough to the point that I think that injury was both uh, more serious than it was and also in timing, you know, incredibly disruptive. Hmm. And basically, I think, kind of reset him to spring training status or, or something along those lines. But yeah, uh, regardless, yeah, Acuna is a monster. But to, to get back to the Angels, they, they need to they need to act as if that is the the thing that will save the organization. Because, again, it's the only thing I think that would convince Otani, OK, this is actually worth a shot. And it needs to be not because this 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 roster as it currently stands gets hot enough to make it work or whatever. I think it also has to be I need to see a sign that this front office and that this ownership group is going to make an effort, which means they're going to go out in, in the, at the trade deadline and they're going to get the pieces necessary to to make sure that this team can win a can win a wild card spot. You know, because I I don't think the Angels can do this through winning the AL West unless we get a, a big time Texas collapse down the stretch. And you, or the I was going to say, rather. they're only like, what, four and a half back right now? They the are, or sorry, for the wild card or for the division? For the division. For the division, yeah, I think they are, yes, they are currently four and a half back at Texas for the division. And you look at it, I mean, you get I mean, a lot I of should, I guess I shouldn't say that necessarily it's not going to happen through the division. I mean, you look at our, as I, I do every say. week, you look at our, our postseason odds over on Fangraphs.com. Mm-hmm. We have the Angels with just shy of a 16% chance to win the division. So it's it's not at all impossible. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, I mean, the Rangers have gotten only bad news in the form that, you know, Jacob deGrom is done for the year. Mm. Uh, you know, I can't ima- I don't know what reinforcements for that team look like. But mm. um, at the same time, you know, you need to see if you're Shohei Otani and you want to stay there. And I think that, you know, if, if winning the World Series should be goal number one for the Angels, you know, goal 1A is keep Shohei Otani here. Hmm. You know, I think he needs to see from them a, a commitment to doing something to improve the current roster. Because there, there are places to improve. This is not, but you know, this isn't, you know, the Braves where it's like you look around, it's like, oh, there's some tweaks we can make on the edges. There are some places that really need some help, and the rotation is probably the biggest one. Mm. And you've got him saying, you know, in the last 48 hours or so that he's been feeling fatigued. In part because the Angels are currently working with, or currently had been working with a five man rotation. Mm-hmm. So that gives you, if anything, all the more incentive to say, hey, let's go out there and get a pitcher and not just a pitcher, but someone who can actually, like, you know, take a real starter's load. Like, 
that sounded awful, and I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to revisit it because I was like, I you know, don't make the mistake. It, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 fix that in post. <laughs> you know, I think you know I, we brought him up before, but Marcus Stroman I think makes a ton of sense for this rotation given what mm-hmm. he does. I think similarly, a healthy and maybe somewhat more effective Lance Lynn makes a lot of sense. I don't know that the Angels have the prospect capital to get. You know, if, if the White Sox were to say, or better said, I guess, if like if the Brewers were to collapse and say, hey, Corbin Burns up for offer, you know, make your best offer. I don't know that the Angels really have, you know, the pieces to make that kind of trade work. I don't think they have what it takes to get an ace level arm. But the good news is they have an ace level arm already in Otani. So what they really, you know, it, it makes it that much more feasible to say, OK, you don't need to go chase that guy. You know, you can mm-hmm. go focus on a Marcus Stroman, a Lance Lynn, you know, someone like a. Uh, I would say Martin Perez, but I think Texas actually likes him and wants to keep him. Like yeah. someone who you can feel comfortable saying, you know, a four ERA or something, maybe, you know, somewhere between a 350 and four ERA, if all goes right down the stretch and a guy who we can say with confidence, this is our number two starter in a playoff series, mm. you know, because right now that's not Patrick Sandoval. That's not Reed Detmers. That's not, it's definitely not Jose Suarez. It's definitely not Jose Suarez. It's not Griffin Canning and it's definitely not Tyler Anderson. You know, those guys are fine back of the rotation starters. I think with the exception of Anderson who has been truly bad, but you know, those are not the guys you want starting the the second game of a of a postseason series if you can make it that far. Particularly given that in a wild card series, that's an elimination game, one way or the other. You know, that's either sending you ahead to the next round or keeping you in the postseason. Um, also, you know, just getting a lot of good vibes from dudes. Like they're just getting like Mickey Moniak having a really good year for them. Zach Nato ca- being called up and not doing the Joe Adele thing where he's just not going to figure it out. He's actually just like, no, nah, I'm going to be awesome right away. And no, Nato, I mean, I, you look at their lineup, and this has been a real problem a for the lineup. Angels. Yeah, it's a good lineup because this has been a real problem for the Angels in years past. Is you know beyond the Mike Trout and then Otani, and for a little bit there Anthony Rendon or you know occasional one year standouts like Jared Walsh. Mm. There was a lot of like. 75 to 90 OPS plus in their lineup. You know, a lot of sub replacement level guys just soaking up and sucking up plate appearances (laughs) because they didn't have anything approaching any kind of depth to make up for it. Yeah. You know, and made it hurt all the more when Trout got hurt or when guys like Rendon get hurt. But this is, they've actually managed to find, I think, the right level of still competent. Uh, major league veterans to start mm. filling some of those spots. I mean, Gio Rochelle and Brandon Jury, neither of them have been great this season, but they've both been league average bats. Actually, Jury a little bit above, mm. capable of playing multiple positions, which has been super helpful for the for an Angels team who just never has really figured out a steady infield. Yeah, um, and when Jared Walsh was as bad as he was, it, Gio's well, got yeah, and better. then <clears throat> I think I think they thought they had that in Walsh, but then his injuries and his subsequent struggles. I you know yeah. I think that's it's. If, that's a he's a huge question mark i think going forward at that position um matt tice you know i don't think a guy a lot Mm. of folks would have expected to be a performer for them he's got a 123 ops plus as their primary catcher Mm. uh you know that which has been huge for them catcher has been a huge problem for the angels for a long time now i don't know if tice is is the long-term solution i think it's it's almost certainly logan ohapi who is unfortunately done for the year but you know, they've gotten production from places they normally haven't. NATO's about a, a 111 OPS plus so far, and that's after a pretty slow start to the season. Uh, Taylor Ward looks a little better after a slump. Renfro has been more or less a league average bat with power, which is pretty much all you can expect out of him. Mm. You know, there is enough competence here, I think, to make a wild card shot at least realistic. And our, you know, our numbers agree. Fangraph's projections have them 
as an 86-win team with a 41.5% chance to make the playoffs. That's better than Seattle. That's better than Cleveland. That's better than... Are we really going to talk about the Red Sox? I don't have to if I don't want to. Well, um, you don't have those to are better job. odds than the Mets and the Phillies to. right now. You know, and I think yeah. that's worth. I think that's worth playing for. And granted, it's a crowded field. One, it's going to be one of Texas or Houston, mm. and at least and and then three out of the four of Tampa, uh, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Orioles, plus maybe a central team kind of nipping at your heels. And who knows if this Mariners team? You know, they're they're five hundred right now, and they have not looked very good. But right. there's there is a potential for a second half surge there. I think you know they're looming, and I don't think they're going to go away. They don't seem like a bottom falling out team. Like, no, I think I think it's a team that probably we have them projected to finish at eighty three wins, and that feels yeah. about right to me. But that's not a that's not a team that's going to roll over going forward. No. I don't think. I think you're right on that. So yeah, it's a it's definitely a crowded field, but I think that makes it all the more important to to get out there and get the guys that can help you, especially as soon as possible. Every adva- every win you can kind of you know bank in advance. Any advantage you can take matters that much more when the margin of error in this league for that wild- for that third wild card spot might be a win. Yeah. To say nothing of maybe that's the margin for the division at the end of the day, you know. And this is the, the Angels have managed to do this without Otani really being as I think what he has what he has been on the mound so far with Trout slumping a bit. Although that the frightening thing there is considering that this is now what the downside of Mark Trout starts to look like, but I don't, I don't really want to think about that yet. I'm yeah. not ready for it. Um, again, and also even of, a slump, is still a really, really great baseball player. He's, still he's just a, not elite. Or, no, or I should even say that. Like he's still really good. He's just not AL MVP favorite. Anymore. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's right. But I think the other side of that is, you know, you know, there's more to Mike Trout theoretically, at least, or at the yeah. very least that he is capable of more. And who's to say that it doesn't happen in the second half? presuming that he doesn't make whatever fixes he needs to make in terms of, you know, combating the slump that he's been in. But Major League really, Baseball has got, got to just be like, oh, don't toy with my heart here. Don't toy with my heart here. Uh, like, just, like, if you can get... And that's the other thing, like... I mean, can you imagine want, Angels, Yankees a, in the first round? If the Angels yes, win the division... Please give me a Shohei Otani postseason start. Yes. Please. Please. <sighs> like, it, it's... Give me one more Mike Trout postseason game. He's yeah. gotten to play three in his entire career. Three. Yeah. I just don't the feel as bad The greatest player for, that we have ever anymore. seen in our, of our, the greatest player of our generation, three postseason games. It's a, it's an abomination. He lost, I, I just, the thing with Trout is he could have left. He could, I know, I, 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 I understand. And that's, that's, it's a valid point. And I think, you know, that he certainly made his choice. And I think it was a regrettable one, at least from yeah. the perspective of baseball fans, you know, to, it would have been nice to have seen him in a better market. It would have been yeah. great to see him in a better market. Not just market, not a better, just market, better sorry, team. On a just better, better team, team. Yeah. Consistently competing, being in the postseason. You know, I, you know, obviously the team, you know, he made a very huge decision based on some personal stuff that we can obviously, that we obviously don't know, but like, I, yeah. I get that. But still, give me, put him in the postseason. Right. Put him in the postseason. I want him and Otani in the postseason. And granted, that's really all I want because the rest of the Angels don't honestly interest me all that much, but just give me Trout, give me Otani. You know, just this this is their time now to make to make these moves. You know, this this is what they need to do. This is what that owner especially given how the the sour taste I think that Artie Moreno returning has left in everyone's mouth in terms of, you know, thinking they were finally gonna be free of his yeah. bumbling ineptitude and all of a sudden he you know, he pulls a one eighty, he's like, Actually no, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna keep screwing things up. He of he of all people in particular, and I don't know if he's even capable of recognizing this in himself or, or feeling that level of shame, has to understand that he needs to make good on this stuff by actually trying to take that next step. Not just here is enough peop here are enough players and parts 
to make this a 500 team with uh, the capacity for more if every single thing goes right. It's to say, this is a team that's good enough that I think it's worth taking that extra step and taking that risk of adding on pieces that may not be here a long time or may cost us a lot of money for a short period of time, but that meaningfully improve our chance to get to the postseason and to keep Shohei Otani. Yeah. You know, that's that again, that should be the only thing that matters to this franchise. Can we keep Shohei Otani? Does that involve going to the postseason? Yes. Then we need to go to the postseason. We need to do whatever it takes, barring like the, you know, the sale of the stadium out from under them to like, you know, the, to, to Saudi Arabia or something like just do what you have to do. That that I think to me is, is the most important thing the Angels need to do at this point going forward is just make that decision. Say we're in it. That means we're going to go for it. There you go. Um, a team that should not go for it, and even if they did, they wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, the Kansas City Royals, John Taylor, they came out this week and said Salvador Perez will not be traded, that they're not looking sure. to move him. Would you move him? What is his return? What is his trade value I, like? I have, no, I, that's the thing, I have no clue. It, it's really hard to figure out because, you know, there are... I mean, there are a lot of ways you can look at Salvador Perez in terms of just, you know, what kind of value he pro- he provides to your team, depending on what it is exactly you value. Because I just imagine this it, came out because Kim Ng kept calling uh, the Royals and were like, hey, what? And they're like, starting pitcher? And they're like, no, no. I mean, that's actually, that's kind of a fascinating potential trade there that you just right? picked up. I, I don't, hmm. But here, I mean, this is the thing, though. By, by essentially all the advanced metrics we've got, Salvador Perez is a bad defender. Mm. Like he he's not good at catching. At least the, yeah. the framing aspect, the 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 block, like you know, it, it it just he is not good at that stuff. Mm. Um he, he's you know, he's a f- okay blocker. Uh he's great. He used to be very good at deterring stolen bases. This year he's been quite bad. Um he's a terrible framer. It it's he's got an okay arm at this point in time like the value of a guy like Perez, I think, comes more from, and I, you know, it's funny to bring this word up in the, in the year 2023, but a lot of it is the intangible stuff. Mm. It's the clubhouse veteran aspect of it. It's the clubhouse leader aspect of it. And it's the I can lead a young rotation aspect of it. Yeah. You know, to be that to be that guy, essentially, to be that veteran catcher who brings that level of experience to a young staff that needs it. The problem I see with that is I don't know that necessarily you want to import that midseason because that's a really hard thing to do is have a catcher learn an entirely new pitching staff on the fly in a, in a playoff race. Hmm. You're asking a ton of that person and a guy in Perez who already expects to play every single day. So his workload is going to be 100% from the second you get him and he's got to learn a new pitching staff. That's the kind of guy I think I'd much rather have in the offseason. Give yeah. him the entire offseason and spring training to learn that staff. To learn who to learn how this how this player works and how they don't, and that also gives you enough time to line up a decent backup alternative, at least in terms of a glove or in terms of a guy who's going to play when Perez if and when Perez does get hurt because that's the hardest position to play in baseball and the one that probably leads to the most injuries aside from pitching. Yeah. So you know I I I'd, I'd also have a hard time kind of figuring well how does a team value that in terms of well here are the prospects I would give you for that mm. I don't know I think this is kind of something where a team would say. Look, if you want to move Perez, here's a list of guys. Pick out some names you like, and maybe we can come to a deal. I don't necessarily know that that's something where, you know, the 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 Royals can even come out and say it would take two top 100 prospects. I mean, mm. first of all, that would get them laughed out of the room. Although I don't know that that would stop the Royals in the first place. Yeah. But at the second, it's like that's not that doesn't feel like even remotely a, a normal price to pay for. 
I, I just don't know what the valuation of a guy like that is. Do you think it's higher or lower than what Contreras was on the table for last summer? I think probably lower because Contreras mm-hmm. is a better hitter at this point in time. Yeah. Um, you know, they're both poor defenders, but I, I think there's a, a ceiling or an upside with Contreras that Perez doesn't really have anymore. Hmm. Um, and so that was, remind me, that was Jose Urquidy was the rumor straight up for Contreras? I think so, yes. And Dusty Baker said no because he wanted Urquidy down the stretch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a young cost, that's a young, cheap, cost-controlled back-end rotation guy. Mm. I guess, but I mean, like, you know, if, if you're the Marlins, you know, one, what does that look like on the actual Marlins right now? Like, if... If you're if you're the Marlins, well, I think if you're the Marlins, the Royals probably say no. Actually, give us some prospects instead. Mm. Um, you know, but you know what is a what is a Jose Urquidy on? Is that like Braxton Garrett? Yeah. If you're the Royals, do you do Sal Perez for Braxton Garrett? Like I, it's a fascinating kind of challenge trade on both ends, or if not a challenge trade, at least a kind of weird like, oh, that's what a catcher is worth in that specific catcher. But like, I, I don't know. I I I don't really know that it's ultimately worth it to Kansas City either. I think there is a genuine value to having a guy like that just around and also just to, again, like if the return for it is going to be Braxton Garrett, a guy who is a good starter, but probably profiles as a long-term like middle of the rotation at most and back into the rotation at most likely guy. Does that, I mean, I guess that's the thing. How do you value a guy who means more to you for intangible reasons than for what he actually can do on the field? Mm-hmm. And which is not to say that every value that Perez provides is intangible. I mean, he's a very good power hitter, but, um, and he's, you know, even if his, if, even if he's not the best catcher, he's durable as all hell. And that's, mm. that's got a value in and of itself. It, it's, it's, again, it, it's the weirdness of like, how do you make that particular acquisition work for you midseason? And I, I don't know. Maybe, some, maybe some team can figure it out. But I, if I were a GM, even if I needed the catching help, I don't know that that's the route I would want to go. That's fair. I mean, um, the Royals also have a billion other problems beyond like whether or not to trade. So, do you know they now have the worst record in baseball? We talked about it, where it's like they've been shielded by just unbelievable intentional ineptitude in Oakland. Yeah. That in any other year, the Royals are we're looking at as like They're, what an unmitigated disaster this is. Th- I mean, this is really something. Like you're you're one hundred percent correct. Like Oakland did this on purpose. Yeah. The Royals just ended up here. This was the. This is the, not necessarily the intended result, but man, they are running a two sixty nine winning percentage on the season. They're on pace to finish forty six and one twenty six, and they just lost Vinny Pasquantino for the rest of the year today. Yeah, today being Wednesday. Uh, they are. They are. They are gonna lose one hundred and twenty plus games. I don't yeah. think there's a single doubt about that. They are an awful, awful team, and boy, like I don't understand how anyone in that front office can return next year like anyone like yeah. i don't i don't think we've seen a clearer example of like well, did they just make the change sweep. when well, did they, I, get, they yeah. did but jj piccolo is a date and more you know a lieutenant yeah. like that's that that's a change only in the sense that if alex anthopoulos left the braves leaving one of his guys in charge for leaving do you know yeah. what i mean like i don't i don't know the braves that front office uh well, well it was to, dana brown yeah, okay, there you go. It's, it's Dana Brown were still in Atlanta would have been the equivalent yeah. of Dana Brown taking over, which is to say nothing about Dana Brown, but more to say that, you know, this is not, I don't think there's necessarily been much of any of a change from one regime to the other. I think the only thing that's changed is the guy who makes the ultimate decision. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how you can have a team lose 100 and, or be on pace to lose 125 plus games. And if that comes to pass, I don't know how anyone in that front office should survive, like, the second the season is over. 
also, if anything, this is like, like the worst right situation, now. right? If you're a fan where you've done this long term rebuild and you were bad and it the wheels came off quickly after winning a title and everything that went on there and then for the wheels to fall off the way they did so you get bad and salvi has been here for all of this but then the rebuild does somehow just it makes things exponentially worse yes and there's really no hope because even this rebuild has set you back so much further in top of another incoming rebuild. We're, and if we're you bring probably somebody, talking about not seeing a winning Royals team for another five years. Yeah, they're going to do a decade plus of horrific they're baseball. Ba- they're back to being who they were because yeah. I, I think that the problem is likely similar. It's a an ownership group that doesn't want to spend, although I, I guess we'll see to a certain degree because now it's a it's a new ownership group, but yeah. you know, results obviously so far have not been positive. And it's a front office that is very clearly not up to not up to the times. And that was always the thing with the Royals of years previous. It wasn't just the fact that they didn't spend. It was yeah. that that front office just seemed stuck in whatever the previous decade was. Again, we've talked a lot about how much of a failure their pitching development has been. You know, they're, they've, they're, their hitting development has been saved only by the grace of, honestly, Pasquantino so far. Yeah. Bobby Witt is a f- superstar five-tool athlete, but he's also posting a sub-300 on-base percentage right now. Yeah. There's only, so f- plus. there's only so far that can take you. You know, and yeah. right now, you're like... I mean, granted, like being the latter day Tony Bautista at his age isn't exactly the, like he's still only what twenty two years old. He's he's yeah. a child, but there's still there's still a lot of development he can do. But so far, it hasn't been good. Yeah, you know, to say nothing of of, of Nick Prado, to say nothing of of you know the rest of the young bats in that system that just simply have not progressed, or whom they just simply don't seem to have time or energy for. Like a why is a guy like Kyle Isbell not playing every day? Why is a guy like Edward Olivar is not playing every day? Mm. You know, why are you like they just now like a week or, or in the last few days, DFA Jackie Bradley Jr. And no disrespect to Jackie Bradley Jr., whom I love so deeply and in a way that I don't even really fully understand. Mm-hmm. That's not a guy you should have signed in the first place. JBJ mm. has nothing to offer a major league team at this point besides his glove. And there are a million dudes theoretically in every farm system in baseball who can do exactly that. Those are the guys you should be taking your chances on. Why are you bringing these dudes in in the first place? Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the Royals roster, and it, it just doesn't really make sense. And I think this is where the, the Perez stuff ultimately confuses me too much. It's like, I don't even know what they would really do that would make all that much sense. Like, hmm. you know, why? And, and granted, it's, I think part of the problem, too, is like, the, the, you look at that lineup now, everyone with the exception of, of Perez is under 33 and substantially so in a lot of cases. This is a bunch of young guys struggling together. But again, like, you couple that with the pitching development, you couple that with you know, some just truly strange uh, player management decisions that just don't seem to make any real sense. You couple that with the bad luck of a guy like Pascantino getting hurt. It's a perfect storm, but, like, again, like you said, like, this is this is where they this is where they ended up because of decisions that they made. This is not an accident. This is not intentional in the sense that the A's are intentional. This is This is where the Royals put themselves because they're bad at all of the stuff you need to be good at to build a major league team. Go Royals. I know, um, it, it sucks, but like I, I just feel bad for Royals fans, especially because they got such a short time on the top of the mountain before they got kicked back into hell. Like them and Pirates fans just got that brief, sweet taste of freedom, of life on the outside, and then they got thrown right back in. And that's at just, least the Pirates, there's still a little bit of hope. We talked about it, where it's like it's either well, that, the Pirates but that even, or the even that, it took a decade for that to come back, basically. Yeah. 
You know, the last like five to eight years in Pittsburgh have been a real unpleasant mess baseball wise. And I wonder we're, too, though, we're now like, at that point with Kansas City too. That this has been a long time going. That this has been a completely uncompetitive eight years almost. Team. Just not like completely uncompetitive day, like night in and night out, not at all on the same level as the as the team facing them. Well, don't worry, John. They're going to trade Araldis Chapman for a King's ransom and be fine. <laughs> and like that's the thing, their path back to this is the other thing for like for these front offices. Why do you want these guys running the next draft? They yeah. keep screwing up. The the worst thing they can I don't I mean I understand the draft is in like a month basically there's not enough time to even if you wanted to do something at this point you're kind of locked in but mm. this is why these decisions have to get made quickly and decisively too because they are now ruining future crops so to speak they are they are poisoning the well for future Royals teams because they don't know what they're doing right now and that has such a huge ripple effect that you know it, like we said it, it's going to be the reason that this is not a winning team for quite some time yeah. Uh, John Taylor, speaking of winning team and not a winning team for quite some time, um, Alvarez gone for a month. McCullers now gone for the year. The Astros reportedly looking for a lefty bat at the deadline. I mean, we talk about season from hell, but like the Astros really are just having the season from hell. And despite all that, they're nine games over 500. Yeah. But does this continue? Do you see the wheels falling off? What, how much more can they withstand at the injury front? It's it's thin now because you know every obviously losing a month's worth of Jordan Alvarez at bats is um, bad. You don't need me yeah. to tell you that, nor do you need fancy numbers for me to tell you that. But mm-hmm. you know we have their postseason odds right now at sixty four point five percent, and their division odds at thirty five percent roughly. So that's you know they're about seven points behind the Rangers in division odds, and about seven points behind them in postseason odds too. Mm-hmm. That's still pretty good. I mean those are the best. You know the. You know, those are better odds than the Orioles, than the Blue Jays, uh, playoff odds overall, than mm. the Angels, than the Guardians, you know, than the Twins, are about the same as the Twins, and the Twins are leading their division, which I don't want to dial delve into AL Central talk, but But, man. I mean, you know what's funny, though? Well, I guess I we don't just talked if... about the Royals, so well, we've already spelunked through sewers. That's true. The Twins, the thing that's funny to me, and I shouldn't say it's funny, but, like, Twins fans hate this season. Like, they're in first place, and every Twins fan on Twitter is like, I hate this team, I hate what we're, like, I hate this <laughs> I hate these calls. I hate, like, the management style. I hate everything. Like, if you go through Twins Twitter every day, you would never guess this team was in first place. Twins fans are not having fun at all. I mean, that's the thing. What is What fun is there to be had with a 500 team? It's yeah. just such a, it's just a frustrating place to be. Yeah. You're not good enough, but you're also just... Like, you know you're going to make the playoffs and get blasted by the Yankees or something. Exactly. First, it's just, yeah. it's almost like, what's? it's not the sense of, like, what's the point? You take your small victories where you can, but it, the old, when you talk about the overarching goal, it's like, yeah, this is not really a very fun place to be. No. Nah. But um, with regards to uh, the Astros, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a pretty thin place right now. You know, it's... Jordan Alvarez was projected almost certainly to be their most valuable player going forward. You know, again, losing a month of that is very bad. Um, I think obviously it's survivable, but the problem is that that team doesn't have a whole lot of hitting depth right now anyway. We've And we've yeah. seen a lot of it already because they've had so many injuries to deal with already. You know, and that's the thing. There's not really much left on the Astros 40-man roster that's really going to be of any help to them, you know? Mm. When you talk about, uh, you know, you look at what there's in AAA, there's David Hensley, whom they've tried and, you know, has not really worked out. There's Ryland Bannon, uh, former Orioles and Cubs piece, I want to say, who is, again, no great shakes. Mm. That's really it. Otherwise, it's a a second-rounder they drafted in 2017 named Joe Perez, who is now in his sixth year in the minors and is a utility bat, Mm. and a catcher in Corey Lee. 
you know, th- there's nothing really left to add hitter wise, you know, that's going to be of any help to them. Um, and so understandably that means Dana Brown, like you said, he's looking for another lefty bat, especially because with Alvarez out, that's a pure righty lineup. So, you know, I don't, I don't think unless, you know, Jose Abreu finally remembers that he's Jose Abreu and or turns back the clock to being Jose Abreu of the past. Yeah, they really can't afford any more hitter injuries. This is about as far as it can go. Um, in terms of what they need to do, I think it's, it is add some kind of lefty bat. And I think you would probably want to focus on a corner outfield piece or either corner. Well, who's corner, the lefty anywhere bat? In the, who, anywhere in the outfield that isn't right. Who Who's feels the like the lefty target for them? Who are they thinking in the summer with that coming out? Who is, like, because that got intentionally leaked, who do you think they're targeting? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the, the trick of it is, like, I don't really know that there are going to be that many. Ba- I mean, I think if San Francisco falls out of the picture, I wonder if Jock Peterson makes sense. Hmm. Um, I well, wonder, if they keep playing the Cardinals, I think they might win the World Series. I wonder how attached the Cubs are to Cody Bellinger going forward, particularly given that, you know, they're clearly not going anywhere. But it, it's a it's a rough group right now otherwise. I mean... You know, Max Kepler, I'm sure the Twins would be happy to move to try mm. to get something for, but that's not really going to, I think, do anything for the Astros. Uh, you know, similarly, I think, you know, a guy like... Jock really enjoyed beating the Astros in the World Series with the Braves. I don't see him being okay with it. I mean, he's also great. not... I, I, you know, I think I think it could work there regardless of what that whole situation is, but I, I also don't know that that's really the kind of impact that they need. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think without being able to spend big on prospects, as I, you know, you look at around the league and you look at the teams who are, you know, more or less out of the playoff picture. I mean, do, you know, does Detroit really have a, Detroit doesn't really have a lefty outfield bat to offer, you know, mm-hmm. neither does Kansas City. You know, I don't think the Red Sox are going to put Alex Verdugo on the market, and I don't know that that does anything for Houston really anyway. Mm. Um, you know, the A's, what's the point? Uh, the Nationals don't have that. I mean, maybe if no i mean i i don't really i don't really know where i don't really know where that comes from right now unless i'm unless i'm just missing something that i i you know i'm just missing something is there a white sock we can throw on them Uh... andrew benintendi i was gonna say that's but i i don't know that that does anything really for houston either i mean yeah that that's kind of the thing is who well, you I also got to consider drew gilbert being a superstar right out of the gate when he gets called up whenever that is so you have help on the way uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe, but honestly, for as much as I've laughed about that, maybe that is part of their calculus is let's see hmm. what Drew Gilbert does over the next two months. And maybe yeah. he's a post-deadline call-up. You know, maybe that gives they them have some their time. NATO. I mean, I think that would probably be the sensible plan of action is, hey, let's take the next two months, see what happens with Gilbert, check out what happens around the rest of the league, try to make a list of names here, see what we can get at the deadline. And if the deadline doesn't work and Gilbert's killing it in double A, bring him up. Yeah. That that honestly might be as good an, uh, an option as any because again I don't really see where the lefty outfield bat is coming from, uh, at least from any team that's already out of it. Where you think that where that's really going to make any kind of you know sizable difference? I think it's you know I, I think maybe one option is the Cardinals since they do have their glut of outfielders. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like what is that you know? Do you have what it would take to to get Lars Newtbar? I don't think so. I I don't really see that happening. I don't think they're going to give up. Uh, I don't think they're going to give him up for anything for any kind of cheap price. And otherwise, you know, aside from that, uh, Jordan Walker's a righty and obviously someone that they're not going to get rid of easily or they're not going to move easily. Tyler O'Neill's hurt and a righty anyway. Um, you know, does, you know, does something like, does someone like an Alec Burleson really move the needle? Does someone like, 
Dylan Carlson really move the needle at this point? I I don't think it's I don't think so. So I'm I'm not really sure where they're going to get that lefty bat, but I think uh, they definitely do need to find it though. I feel like because this team cannot really suffer any more offensive injuries or or struggling. I would agree. Uh, John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs this week? What is your favorite highlight piece this week? Uh, favorite highlight so far is honestly, and granted I'm biased, but I really liked uh, Eric Longenhagen and Tess Teruskin doing their Red Sox top prospects list. Mm. Learned an absolute ton from it. As is the case with every top prospect list that we do, they are so, so full of information and great comps. And, you know, Eric and Tess have done a fantastic job with them this season. So, uh, in that vein, we're going to have the Angels top prospect list out this week on Thursday. We're going to have a, also a uh, draft rankings update to come at the end of the week. Plus, uh, we've got, again, for the college baseball sickos, Michael Bauman doing some World Series preview. He put out bracket one today on Wednesday. Bracket two is coming, I believe, on Thursday as well. Hey, John, can you uh, ask Mr. Bauman a question for me when you get uh, a chance? I certainly can. Um, ask him. So it's a very simple question among the two sec teams that mm-hmm. we are both fans of which one ended up getting through the super regional to make the college world series this weekend which of the two was it I'm south gonna, carolina or was it tennessee i'm gonna guess the answer is tennessee because you wouldn't be bringing this up if it were otherwise it's tennessee john paul Skeens versus andrew Lindsay on saturday night under the lights in omaha LSU, Tennessee. I don't know what most of those words mean, and I don't think any of them are in the Bible. There's going to be three top ten prospects. That said, once uh, once we're done recording here, I'm going to go watch this clip of Chase Burns doing a thing. Chase Burns. (laughs) 102 miles an hour. How does the Tennessee baseball team have two dudes named Chase? Uh, Look, everything's coming up Chase here in Knoxville, Tennessee, John. Uh, I'm not saying... I believe you. It's an impact, but... There's a lot of chases being born here now because of just the success here in Knoxville. So it's a, it's a good time to be Chase in Knoxville. But Chase Burns hitting 102 and just striking out Dustin Dickerson, who I think is Corey Dickerson's son, if I remember correctly. Son? Uh, no, there's no way. Corey Dickerson's that old. Uh, Who's his dad? It's someone's... Uh, who's Dustin Dickerson's father? Uh, Let's see here. I'm uh, Bobby now. Dickerson, he played at... Who am I thinking of? I don't, He's currently I don't an assistant coach Dickerson. for the Phillies. Oh, okay. Um, um hmm. well if you want to know what uh bauman thinks about tennessee's chances check out part two that's dropping on thursday uh-huh. like i said eric will have a draft rankings update which i'm sure will be chock full of names you will see in this year's college world series i don't think they're related oh, okay that's good to know yeah well and, i mean i remember uh, i told you like we're getting old man like you have jack wilson's son who's playing well for grand canyon yeah, well, that, but like yeah jack wilson played in the late 90s and early 2000s like Corey dickerson was just on the nationals True. like last year Manny Ramirez, the son, I told you, is committed to the Vols for next year's class. I'm very yeah. excited for Manny Jr. to be in yeah. baseball, or whatever his name is. I hope it's Manny Jr. It's not Manny. Um, That's a shame. What? Manny Ramirez, son. I got an, uh, it's a fun, good baseball name, though. Uh, son name. What is it? It is... Oh, it is Manny Ramirez Jr. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Oh, this is amazing. He is all three. All three sons are named Manny. That's the most Manny Ramirez thing of all time. Yes, it is. I really, really appreciate that. But wow, yeah, coming over to Fangrass if you like college baseball and draft stuff, and also other normal baseball stuff. I shouldn't say normal. The college yeah. baseball's fine. Oh, I was right. It is Lucas. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I was like, it's not him. It's Lucas. I was like, there's no. I'm like, I don't remember it being Manny Junior. Okay, yeah, it's Lucas. There you anyway. go. Anyway. 
It, hey, I, li- John- I like this digression. It's a good one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I got to get it right. Uh, I, that's, that's why people listen to this podcast, because you got to get it right. Absolutely. People love the L.A. Deli Cruz. Like, over a thousand views for that one in the last two, 48 hours. Hey, there you go. People love L.A. Deli Cruz. He's going to be a star. Hey, Major League Baseball, market it well. Uh, market L.A. well. He's fun, and people do, want to watch right, him. Do right by Ellie. Yes, absolutely. And Red, spend. Uh, John Taylor, always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, welcome back. Chase Most Podcast, taping this on a Wednesday evening. Jason Hart is here of the G League Ignite. Jason, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, brother. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, what does the summer look like for you? Are you taking a break a little bit? What is uh, what is it like just in a, a day in the life of the G League Ignite head coach at this moment? Well, this is our first year where we had a, a summer offseason. Mm-hmm. In our three-year history, this is our first year we had a summer offseason. So um, we had two guys remaining on the team from last year, London mm-hmm. Johnson and Bobo Carsane. Mm-hmm. So I gave our guys, those two guys, April off. And then we started our off-season program May, June. Okay. So now we welcome guys, uh, Matas, Cherry, mm-hmm. um, Ron Hollins, uh, Tyler Smith, and, and our regular guys. And so we're just starting work. We've been working for going on a month and a half, and then we'll finish up strong in June, and then we'll kick it back in August. There you go. I, I like it. Um, first question, what is your favorite uh, part about coaching the G League Ignite? What's your favorite part? Watching these young men uh, chase their dreams, and then when mm-hmm. they finally happen, um, you know you was a small part in helping them achieve that, and just watching them go through the the grind of trying to obtain that dream, and then holding them accountable as as every step of the way. So that's the beautiful part is is, is watching them chase their dreams, and then when they when it happens, um, that's rewarding. What was the biggest adjustment you made from your first day uh, coaching the G League Ignite to now? Just learning the league. Learning mm. how the league operates, um, you know, learning your do's and don'ts, mm. learning how to deal with young men on a professional level. I was mm. in college for some time, and so college is more a dictatorship. Mm. Here, teaching the young men when they have a problem, you know, come see me, come talk to me. So you teach them to be a self-advocate mm. and, and ask questions and, and get the answers too. What's the hardest part about like kind of I'm curious because you have just different guys each and every year like what how fluid do you have to be and how uh, how open do you have to be to really keep your offense and your just what you're what you want to do schematically uh, year to year how, how much does that change? Yeah I have to be very open because mm-hmm. the program is not about Jason Hart uh, my system my system it's about mm-hmm. my ties become a top five pick or mm-hmm. helping Cherry understand uh american basketball so i have to be flexible and then i have to build systems um year after year that fits my personnel Mm -hmm. so they look their best while being judged by nba general managers what was the biggest uh adjustment schematically this year you made with scoot and company uh scoot was real easy because he was in our program for two years but Mm -hmm. learning the offense and 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 having guys uh do more without the ball we try Mm -hmm. to get our players ready for the nba Scoots the talent. He's going to have the ball in his hand from day one. Mm. But, you know, teaching everybody how to cut, move, play without the basketball. So when they do get to the NBA, they're equipped with not having a ball in their hands so much and they're able to fit in right away. 
is that something where you're like, oh, thank goodness the Denver Nuggets just won the title because just cut after cut for Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, whoever, like if Jokic, if you were open on a cut, Jokic was going to find you. And uh, it seems like that's just another way for guys to stick and to play like the, the Bryce Browns of the, the Bruce Browns of the world and uh, everybody else. Right. Well, Miami ran the same offense just yeah. personnel. And then the champion last year was Golden State. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the game is heading. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, five players that can all pass, dribble and shoot. But if you're mm-hmm. cutting and moving, it's hard to uh, guard that. And that's what keep, you know, your, I want to call them role players, but the other players that keeps them involved mm. because now they're threats on each possession. John Jenkins on the roster. John Jenkins, I'm a Hawks guy. I'm from Atlanta. John Jenkins, sharpshooter at Vanderbilt, always been able to shoot, get shots up. Uh, nearing 32 now as a player. What did he bring uh, to the locker room and what you were trying to do each and every day? Did you lean on him a lot? How did, how did that work? Yeah, I leaned on him a lot, maybe too much in terms mm. of like uh, – his scoring and his shooting. Um, but what he brought to my team, you know, I, and I have a young bunch, he brought professionalism, mm. um, his everyday actions and working on his craft to become better. Um, guys watch and mm. that doesn't go unnoticed. And so he allowed uh, me to use him as an example a lot on how to stay in the gym, how to get your body right, mind right, so you can be at your best. And um, we look forward to having John back this year as well. Do you think he's a future coach? I mean, it's something that he can uh, uh, definitely do. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he understands the game, his knowledge. And then you're dealing with young guys. You know, you mm-hmm. have to bring them along. A lot of times um, we try to get veterans that's, that's willing to help and bring along. Mm-hmm. And so I thought he did a really good job of that. Um, either you can coach or you can go in the front office like Pooh Jetter. So it's mm-hmm. just whatever world he wants to venture into, I think he'd be successful. What do you think makes uh, Leonard Miller so intriguing long-term for NBA teams? Well, he's 16 and a half. Mm. He's a big forward, forward wing. Um, he, he uses his uh, his length and his intangibles really well, and he's just starting to understand the game. So I think mm. that with the size and his ability to play five as well, um, it's going to be very intriguing to teams because he has so much untapped potential. Mm. He's a hard worker. So I think teams are starting to recognize and see that he's a talented player. When you look at him or forecast like 10 years from now, what do you think his best NBA skill is? It's going to be rebounding. Hmm. It's going to be rebounding. He's a really good rebounder. He averaged about 12 for me this year. Mm. And so young playing against pros. And, you know, his ceiling is Lamar Odom. I think huh. uh, they're the same size, same feel. If you study his game, you watch Lamar. Lamar was never a big scorer in the NBA. Mm. Maybe 14, 13, 14. So I think Leonard, same size, same left hand. I think they have a lot of the same uh, attributes. Same vision? Because Lamar was just a – he was a great passer too. Yeah, if you watch Leonard in high school, if mm. you YouTube him Leonard in high school, he, he played the point guard. So this yeah. was his first year playing forward when he got to me at Ignite. And just mm. the way he was able to adapt and adjust to a new position in, in six months, mm. that showed me that once he's continued to learn his true position of forward, mm. he's going to take off even more. I like it. Um, Scoot Henderson will be a superstar in the NBA for what reason? His work ethic and his dedication to his craft. I hmm. think uh, he has a he has a tremendous level of focus, um, leadership, and he's not a follower. Mm-hmm. I think those are the things you need to become a, a superstar in this NBA for multiple years. And then you got to work like you're not that good of a player. Mm-hmm. And that's how his work ethic is. He works like he's the last uh, last sub on the team, and that's going to get him get him to where he's trying to go. Who does he remind you of? I mean, you got Leonard Miller reminding you of Lamar Odom. Who is it for Scoot? 
Well, you know, I, we've been having them for two years in the program. Mm. Early, it was it was a uh, uh, Derrick Rose, obviously, because mm. very explosive. But the more he's he's starting to mature in his game and understand, and his vision is growing, it's more like a Jason Kidd. Hmm. You study young Jason Kidd, he, he, dynamic in the open court, rebound, push, make really good passes. So, um, to me, he's morphing into more J Kidd now. So, if someone said they're worried he might be score first more than pass first. You're not as worried about that. Well, every point guard in the NBA is score first. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, they got to tell me which one is not. That's and true. Even, even when Chris Paul was passing, he still was averaging 18, 19. So mm. every guard in the NBA, from Damian Lillard, mm. Steph Curry to Kyrie mm. to Luca, Trey Young, uh, Rick uh, uh, Brunson from New mm. York, every last one is score point guard. So that's, yeah. he fits what the NBA is looking for: score first, point guards. John Morant, same thing. Score first point guard. What's the ideal backcourt mate for him uh, to kind of maximize his development uh, early on? Who do you think is the right kind of player to kind of share the, the backcourt with him? That's a really good question. Um, I just think that he can uh, uh, adjust and adapt to any situation he's drafted in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like put words in my mouth, but um, he's so uh, adaptable and, and willing to learn and understand and grow that I think you could put him in any situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, uh, him on the ball and making plays for his teammates is where he thrive in. But he played in the backcourt with a guy named Dyson Daniels, too, mm-hmm. as well, the year prior. And so he played off the ball a lot. So he can do whatever um, his team needs for, for uh, the team to be successful. Every team just needs, like, a Gary Harris. Like, the, every team, just the 3 and D, like, every young guard could just benefit from guys like that to just make life easier. Because, I mean, you obviously playing in the NBA and have been around the game for so long, Jason, that, like... I'm curious because like one of the common uh, cliches that folks will throw around is that like, hey, point guard is the hardest position to come into in the NBA. Like you have to let guys fail. Like Steph Curry had to have all the turnovers early on in Golden State. He had to figure stuff out and it was just hard. Like Jason Kidd wasn't great right away. It's just it's the hardest position to come in and you have to let guys fail. Why do you think that is or do you even believe that that's still the case? Yeah, I think that's the case with lottery picks. You mean, mm. drafting so high, and they're 19 years old. Like, they're mm. not going to have it. You know, they're not going to have it right away. It was only one 20 year 20-year-old that did that. That was Magic Johnson, right? Mm. Championship. Other than that, if you look at every player from Luka to Joker to MB, it's a process. Mm. But the, I think that the up that Scoot has, he, he's been playing professional basketball for two years already. And so mm. this is his third-year professional. And so far as the terminology, understanding what's going on on the court, he kind of seen it. And mm. now it's just going to be able to adapt with the high-level talent, which I think he's up for that challenge. So if I were to show you a lot of different scouting reports and draft guides of Scoot at this point, uh, having coached and been around him for two years, what do you think is the most overlooked asset to his game that's going to be uh, a really, really great thing for the team that drafts him to have? His, his character. Hmm. He's a good dude. I mean, you got – you. You got to think, Scoop could have shot the ball every single time and mm. nobody would have said nothing, but that wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And for him being that way, his teammates loved him. So I just think his character, who he is as a person, um, you know, and his 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 willingness to, to be selfless in the locker room, I think that's going to resonate uh, once he gets to an NBA locker room. And everybody liked him. Hmm. Uh, an- analytics don't, don't, don't tell that part. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's a good person as well, so. Those are the things that will help him be a leader early. Mm. And I think uh, when he steps into that locker room, he'll be ready to go. I like it. 
with so many eyes being on uh, the game with, against the Metropolitan 92s uh, from a couple months, what was that like for you? Was it a really just kind of crazy environment for you to be in, to coach in? What was that, that whole day like for you? Well, just for the team, not just me mm. in general. I, it was just a blessing that we can be uh, playing um, in front of a bunch of NBA scouts first and foremost. Mm. And then um, with school playing really well and we, we getting that victory, I think it goes, you know, a lot of people, I know Victor's more than likely go number one, but Scoot, uh, mm. outplayed him that day. It's not a secret. Yeah. I'm not shying away from that. We won the game. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought that was good for our team, for our program. And then it showed the world that uh, with all the hype, um, our young guys can deliver. And that's what I was most proud of. What did you see on tape when you were studying Victor and just kind of preparing for that game? What did you see that was like, I think we can deal with this. I think this is something that, we can kind of he's not there yet that we can attack what did, what did you see with victor at this point well you know you when you're watching those tapes it was early in their year mm. played three or four games so you, you, you can watch it but mm. until you play against him and see how tall he is you, you never can like really uh prepare for that length mm-hmm. you, know, you prepare for six eleven seven footers but he you know he's seven foot five with, with real guard skills so mm-hmm um, we prepared the best way we can, but, you know, he's a talent, and talented players are always going to find their way to success. Have you ever seen a player like Victor? Yeah, I have. Um, uh, Bo Bo. They have okay. A, they have a lot of similar skill sets. Um, mm. Bo Bo obviously went to Oregon, got hurt, drafted. Mm. So he's not given the same uh, uh, freedom. To, mm. But he has. He was good in Orlando this year. He had some freedom finally, yeah. He, he really did. He re- so you watch him. You pay mm-hmm. attention. Um, but Bobo is, is not as tall. He's about seven two, but he has the same skill set. Uh, this kid just has you know a little bit better guard skills. But Bobo, um, in my eyes, had the same yeah. similar skill sets. Yeah, it's funny when you're watching Orlando too. Like Markel was something when I was watching Scoot and just looking at just different comps. And like early Markel, like UW Markel was just such an explosive, fun player. And one of the things that I still love watching Markel this year, and he's just a great story and just really found a, a role in this league that I think he'll be able to keep playing for a long time is he's so good in the mid-range. He keeps the game at his pace. He's slow and he's just, he's going to play at his pace, but he's still gifted passer and finds his way uh, around the rim. That just, it's, it's really unique. He's a really unique player at this point. And with Scoot, he has that unique floater. And it's just, I like when you first saw that, you're like, Oh, this is just like, one of the weirdly super efficient shots that I guess we're just going to have to live with because you're just really, really good at this thing that not a lot of guys are good at. Well, if you look at a uh, Hall of Fame point guards, uh, everyone has it. I mean, Tony mm. Parker is probably the best. Yeah. And a guard, you know, you're going to constantly get by your man and, and get to that paint. You mm. can't get all the way to the rim, so you have to have in-between shots. Mm. And that's a good thing to have because that keeps you out of foul trouble, but also keeps the defense um, at bay to what you want to do. What's been the most rewarding part of coaching uh, the G League Ignite through two years for you? I'm just growing as a coach. I mm. think, uh, you know, obviously being in college for nine years as an assistant mm. and to the pro level, I think is a, a process and steps for me. And I'm enjoying being able to learn the NBA game, mm. learn nuances, and then more, more importantly, learn how to uh, deal with young men with anxiety and pressure to, mm. to feed their family. So I think that that helps me become a better person because I have to understand what they're going through. And it also allows a, a, a environment of healthy relationships because we're all trying to accomplish something. So that's that's been the be- best thing for me. 
do you think it's in a better place as a whole for players than it was when you were playing? Well, the game has always has been in a great place. I mean, mm-hmm. Different eras of the NBA. So the, no matter what we say, this era, that era, mm-hmm. you're in the NBA and you're playing, your era is one of the best, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the game will continue to grow. It's going to continue to get better. Guys will continue to make more money. Mm-hmm. And we're going to always leave the game in a good place because you can't stay here forever. And yeah. So, you know, you enjoy your time here. You do your best. You work your hardest, and, and, and you move on and leave it for the next uh, next group. If you were put in charge of the next big thing in the NBA, or, or just in basketball in general, that you were just like, "Hey, this is something I would like to emphasize or see uh, where the game could go here." What what would it be for you? What would you do that you've always been kind of interested in uh, in evolving the game? Is there anything in particular you would like to expand and do? Uh, well, I was, you know, being a uh, early 2000 uh, NBA basketball player, I would like to see a team uh, come back to Seattle. And then mm. I would also want to see a team come to Vegas. Okay. Got, you know, so that would be me wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, adding two teams with, with major fan bases like uh, Seattle has already built in and then Vegas is turning into, you know, the city to, to live in. So mm-hmm. I just think. I'm a wishful thinker. I hope they do that if I was in charge. Do you think we see a four-point shot in the next 10 years? Ah, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you probably I, – I don't want to. I can see the possibilities but because you would have people taking heave shots for no reason. Mm-hmm. The playoffs, the games in the fourth quarter was 89 to 84, low scoring. Yeah. So while we always talk about all this three-point shooting, um, they didn't. it wasn't bombs away in the finals. It was – let's get a good shot if it's a two-pointer we'll take it and so that's real basketball and the analytics was out the window in the finals yeah um andy enfield do you you coach with him obviously for a long time at us uh, at usc what was the biggest lesson you learned from him you know what he, he taught me how to be prepared he was always hmm. prepared his teams are always uh ready to play and uh he, you know he was a leader of men i hmm. think uh, you know he, he showed me how to turn the program around and so that was something to watch. And then, um, obviously, being able to have sustained success. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not a fluke. Um, he understands the landscape. And uh, he taught me a lot. And I was grateful for my eight years there. Do you think he's ready for Bronny? Yeah. Can anyone be ready for LeBron to be looking over your shoulder and be like, hey, 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 what are we doing here? Like, cause... Well, LeBron, if you, if you see, you know, I'm from L.A. So mm-hmm. I, I've seen Bronny since he was a freshman at Sierra Canyon. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I think LeBron knows it's a process, the dad. Mm. And so I don't think uh, at this at this stage of his career he's going to have to do that. He understands this. Um, his son got a scholarship, and mm. he was very excited about that. So I don't think he's putting that pressure on his kids to they got to make it like he did. He, he wants them to go through life and enjoy it and have a great time and a great experience. If Bryce ends up at the G League Ignite, are you looking forward to that challenge? Are, are you opening the door? Are you ready oh, yeah, for it? Yeah, definitely. I would love to coach uh, Bryce. I'm mm-hmm. the heck out of Bryce. I'm gonna recruit the heck out of Carmelo Anthony's son. Yeah. Um, why not? I want both of them. Two legends' <laughs> sons playing for Ignite. I'm definitely interested in that. Well, there you go. You also have Sharif. How was how was that this year? Coach Sharif was good. I recruited Sharif when he came out of uh, high school and he, mm-hmm. he chose Arizona instead of yeah. USC. But it was a great experience coaching him. I finally got my chance to coach him. I've been trying for for many years. Um, I thought he opened a lot of eyes. People got to see his ability, his talent. Now mm. it's on him to kind of uh, capitalize on that momentum that he have and take it to the next level. There you go. 
Coach, what can uh, the good folks do to check out what you've got going on this summer? I know you got practice and camps going on uh, here in June. When can the next? When is the next time that folks can see you and then ignite uh, this summer? Yeah, so in September, early in September, we're going to be playing um, uh, a EuroLeague team or an Australian okay. team here in Vegas. It's going to be two games. I don't know the exact dates, but mm-hmm. it'll be somewhere the first or second week of September. Mm-hmm. So we're just looking forward to fans that are coming out, watching our new young talent, and then get a chance to see – how the program works and how it operates. There you go. Well, I wish you nothing but the best, Coach. It was great uh, talking ball with you, and uh, it's a fun program, and I love seeing it. And I'm excited to see where uh, guys like Leonard and Scoot end up uh, next week. I can't believe the NBA draft's already here, but uh, it's going to be a good day for you, and you're doing a great job uh, with the Ignite, and uh, nothing but the best. And we'll have to talk again soon. Thank you, brother. See you soon. Thanks, Jason. All right. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. You know him. He's the slot man himself. Trillboro dude. You know Ball. The merch is right there. We'll put a link in the description. You you know him on YouTube.com slash you know Ball and all that good stuff. But uh, Trill, I'm just going to call you Trill. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Um, You know, we just did get some slot that dropped uh, mm-hmm. about 20 minutes ago, which... Uh, made me personally sad because of uh, the implications of the Bradley Beal stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, otherwise been doing well, been doing a lot of draft research, been doing some free agency stuff, streams and, and all that, staying busy. So it, it's been fun. It's a, the, off, the off season's almost the, the always the most fun and busy time of the year for us. So it, it's been good. There you go. Here on the Hawks front, we just have, like, it's just going to be a lot of, who's that guy on the Hawks bench? Like, it's just, uh, Udo's going to be on the bench, Mike Bray's going to be on the bench, like, Igor is going to be on the bench. A lot of who's who, where it's like, wait, why do I know this person? Was this a player? Was this a coach? Like, everyone from, like, the, just (laughs) all over the map on NBA Twitter and everywhere, like, the Hawks bench is just going to be pretty, pretty wild next year. Yeah, I mean, I know Igor from, uh, you know, the the famous Suns passing on uh, Luka Doncic when he had, he mm-hmm. was literally his coach at one point, so. Yeah. I don't know anything about Luka Doncic. Like, if the Hawks were in a position to just take Luka Doncic and just keep him and build around him, I, I would have that. loved a situation like that. I can't, It seems impossible to imagine. No, I mean, many of us have wondered what the Hawks would do in such a situation, but um, unfortunately, we'll never well, know. Well, hey, get your trade package ready. We might be here in a year talking about that. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. There's all kinds of time for slop and future slop here, uh, TBD. So I want to start um, this question. Do you want, as a Sixers fan, Sixers connoisseur, do you want James Harden back next year? No. Okay. I'm done. I mean, I've seen what I need to see. Like, uh, here's the thing with James Harden. First off, I don't want to blame James Harden for why they lost the playoff mm. series. I know that's like a popular thing to do. Realistically, we were only in those last two games because Harden was incredible in game one and incredible again in game four. Uh, and if he did not have those performances, the Sixers probably would have lost that series in like five games. So I can't really put the you know the blame on him i ultimately think that it came down to joel and not really taking over at the end of game six and in game seven 
when he had the opportunity to, your best players need to step up. And if they don't, then you're probably going to lose, as we just saw in the NBA Finals when Nikola Jokic, you know, carried the team uh, to a title, despite having, you know, good performances from Jamal Murray and role players. But you kind of need everything to be clicking at the right time in order to to make it all work. And, uh, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I don't blame Harden for the reason. I just, how much more evidence do we need? It's been a decade, dude. Mm. Like, every elimination game, every big game, it's like basically a no-show outside of those hot shooting games that he had in Game 1 and Game 4 against Boston, a team that showed that they had some defensive issues this year. Uh, I don't think, you know, I I can't sit here and act like I didn't see, I I saw the Sixers pushing them to seven. I thought Mm. the Celtics were clearly the better team. I thought they were going to win in like five or six uh, the fact that the Sixers even got as far as they did was encouraging, but I, I'm I'm just I'm done. Like I, what are we like? Joel Embiid has his playoff faults. Uh, James Harden has his playoff faults. I think that Joel has enough time left, hopefully, to rewrite whatever his legacy is, whatever his history will will show. I don't see it with James Harden. Like, hmm. when was the last time James Harden before these this round? When by the way, like. He ha- he was the best player on the court for two games, and he was also the worst player on the court in, th- in three other games. Mm. And then he had one game where he was, like, fine. Like, can we just get to the point where James Harden is passable in big games? Because that feels like it would make a big difference. But, like, I'm just – I'm done trying. And, like, I know it's not, like, the smart thing to do with the quote-unquote asset to let a guy walk out the door for nothing, but, like, he's not going to get any better. He's going to turn 34 year- years old next year. Like, he's mm. 33. Like – I just don't I don't I don't see the upside in bringing back James Harden in the same way that I think if you were to put Tyrese Maxey on the ball and potentially turn Tobias Harris into either different co- which they're probably going to do anyway turn Tobias's contract into role, other role players hmm. uh or turning him into a Bradley Beal or someone who, who is now available or turn it into someone that gives you the opportunity to at least have the upside of not being the worst player on the court in big games is uh, feels like a massive advantage to me. And I just, I don't understand how you can talk yourself back into the Sixers with, with Joel Embiid and James Harden as the two best players. That's interesting. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Maxi because I think that's just going to be the biggest summer discussion point for a lot of Sixers fans is like, okay, if you lose um, James Harden for nothing and he's gone, he's back to Houston, whatever, like, I think there's probably two schools of maxi camps, right? Like you're more plugged in on this front than I am. Like, is there the front that's like, he's a star in waiting. Now he can be on the ball. He can be in the James Harden role where we can actually see what he looks like with a crazy high usage and what it looks like in the pick and pop game with him and Embiid being the main feature of the offense. Like what can Nick nurse get out of maxi in like a Fred Van Vliet type thing where he's playing 40 minutes a night and sure. uh, playing a bunch on ball. Like, is there untapped, all-star potential with maxi and then there's the other side where it's like that's a big gamble to just let harden walk and then just be like all right maxi your turn uh time to go be a superstar is it a big gamble that's what i'm asking i don't know what what's the upside losing in the second round again (laughs) like i like this team is never making the conference finals of the finals like Mm. Like, we know that that is the... Re- Unless they turn Tobias Harris into fucking Paul George without getting rid of Tobias... Without getting rid of uh, Maxi. like, there's no route that this team has to making it past the second... Like, this was the year. Mm. They had it 
they were up at home game six and the stars showed who they are in the biggest moment again. Mm. Like it's it the upside is doesn't exist is my thing. Mm. Like the upside is the second round. Like I don't see I think that the Eastern Conference was way weaker this year in the playoffs. It proved to be way weaker than we had ever anticipated. Mm. The eight seed got to the finals. The ones the one seed lost in the first round. Mm. The two seed, which who everyone thought was the favorites in the Celtics, were completely vulnerable and lost to that same Heat team, should have lost to the Sixers. Next year, now you're looking at a situation where the Heat are probably going to get Bradley Beal. They'll be better. Do you think the heat, he doesn't feel like a Heat guy to me. What's that? I don't think Beal feels like a Heat guy to me. I disagree. He went to school in Florida. He yeah. is... He, he is... He... I'm telling you, what's today's date? June 14th. Yeah. January 28th next year, we will have an article written by Brian Winhorst or something that's like mm. how Bradley Beal needed heat culture to, yeah, needed needed heat culture to recapture his all-NBA prowess or whatever. Like, I put it in fucking money right now. I called it a, a, a few days ago that the heat were going to be on, on Beal. Shams just said it. And now Windhorst is saying you could basically get Bradley Beal for nothing because they just want to get off the contract. You're going to get a fringe all-star, potential all-NBA player with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. You're probably just going to have to give up Kyle Lowry's expiring contract in your first-round pick. Like That's not enough. Who's trading for Bradley Beal? He has well, a here's no the thing. Though. He can oh. be. There's one juggernaut that, and I've been, I've been at the top of the mountain, the uh, top of the mountain with screaming this particular trade. It makes no sense to just not trade for Bradley Beal if you're Portland. Like, just give Shaden Sharp the number three pick, and they're not doing that. Why? Like, just ride it out with Lillard and Beal. Be fun for the last remainder portion of uh, Lillard's prime. You're not going to get equal value for moving on from Lillard this summer. Like. Just ride it out. Just be awesome and super fun for the last couple of years. Why this won't happen? I'm telling you right now. Okay. One, the main one is that they're going to view it in the same way that they viewed Bradley Beal. They viewed Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. But I think it's an upgrade, right? Do you think Beal is better than what McCollum is? Best version of Beal? I think the best version of Beal. Yes. Mm. I don't think he's going to be that in Portland. I think he mm. could be that in Miami. I don't think he could be that in Portland. If he goes to Portland, it's basically going to be a stronger, like a physically stronger, worse shooting version of what you got with CJ McCollum. Because people like love to act like Bradley Beal's like a 50% three-point shooter. He's not really the three-point shooter he was early in his career. Mm. Some of that is the fact that he's moved on the ball. Another part of it is that he's gotten stronger so he can be a better driver and that can mess with guys' touch a little bit. But like CJ, to me, this version of Bradley Beal, as it currently exists, if you put him on the Portland Trailblazers, would be like a slightly better version maybe than what we got from CJ McCollum a few years ago. Hmm. So that's the number one reason. Number two is that Dame and him are both on Supermax contracts, and Portland is just not going to pay $100 million for two guards. They're just not going to do it. Especially when an ownership situation being what it is. Exactly. Like, they're already a cheap... Like, Miami might be willing to spend, and like... Bam's friends with him. They are paying Jimmy a ton, but this is this is their window, and they were just in the finals for yeah. the second time in what four years, three years. Like I, I look at it like I look at it like from Miami's situation. It like makes a lot of sense to push in the chips. You can get him for very little. Mm. The, the, Beal has a no trade clause. Yeah, if he says trade me to Miami. If he says trade me to Boston. If he says trade me to Philly, those teams have no reason to give up a ton of stuff because they're like. Mm. 
He wants to come here. You're, we're paying him the one of the five biggest contracts in NBA history to come yeah. here and potentially not even make the all-star team. Like the, the asset that his contract was a year, a half, year and a half ago is not what it is today. And now it's like, now I don't, I think he has negative trade value of anything. Like, I think it's mm. going to be, I think the return is literally going to be like Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson in the 18th pick. Maybe. Wow. There are some other ones too. Like if you're Memphis, I think you think about it with where Jaw is, and you're like, "Hey, Desmond Bain, like, that's good, good piece. Like, that's nice value. Like, uh, some picks and Bain. Like, if you built a package around Desmond Bain, I wonder if you're able to get in there because then you're like, hey, let's just go.' Do it either. Yeah, it's just the small market thing. Like, yeah, one Beal has to put him on their list, and then more importantly to me, like, look at how Milwaukee's built. Look at how Denver's built. Look at how these teams that win titles that are in small markets. Yeah. They build through the draft, and then they might take a, a risk on a third star. Like, yeah. maybe you could view it as, like, the Drew Holiday trade a few years ago. Yeah. But they traded Drew – when they traded for Drew Holiday, they traded Eric Bledsoe, who was, like, done. Like, mm. he was, like – like, they were done with him. And then just the draft picks and contracts to make it work. Whereas, like, I would – I'll be honest. I'd rather just straight up have Desmond Bain than Bradley Beal if I'm hmm. the Grizzlies. Like, I think Bain – Bane might not reach the level of creator that Beal is, but mm. as a shoot, like, what do you need with John ja Moran? You need an elite shooter. And, mm. like, ja, JJJ and Bane are shooting-wise, and, like, he still has one year left on his on his rookie deal. I don't think he's going to get a full max on the next deal. And this new CBA is going to make it so that it's so hard if you have multiple max contracts, which is why the Sixers aren't really interested, to be honest. Because yeah. like, this new CBA is going to make it so that basically, like, you can't, have a tr- you can't have mid-level exceptions you can't trade future picks you're you're, you're gonna get so screwed if you do all these things. you have no flexibility so hmm. that's why a, t- a team like miami is the only team and maybe boston are the only teams that make sense because this is and and to a lesser extent i guess the sixers but like this is their window next year is yeah. their window the year after that is their window they can they don't have to worry about all that stuff in the future whereas a team like memphis is like well we don't even know if john morant's gonna play the next the first 50 games of next year yeah i just i don't think jimmy will like playing with beal i don't think he fits i don't think he fits with what you just saw with miami this past year in the run and like just i don't think that's a marriage that works like jimmy there was a reason in minnesota practice that man was like give me all the g leaguers and i'm going to go beat cat and company like the the way he's wired and i understand like he ran out of gas and who knows maybe it was the ankle getting turned and that early on in the postseason and that kind of changing things but like i just when you watch them and like obviously tyler hero not being a factor helped them for the majority of this postseason not having to insert uh hero and his issues defensively in those lineups like i just i wonder if those two actually align it's like one of those things with trey like i just saw it for a full year with trey and Dejounte, where i cautioned hawks fans where i was like no it's cool that trey is all in on Dejounte now it's it's july like i I would hope that he would be the case like it sounds great in theory like i'm bringing in another all-star like this is going to be fun i'm ready to move off ball i'm ready to like get back to the eastern conference finals where i was two years ago the problem with that is eventually you have to play basketball with one another and it's not 2k and you have yeah. to actually see what that's like and trey did not do anything off the ball like trey did not evolve it did not really work it was a lot of staggering which is what it should be like Dejounte and trey should stagger most of the time but like 
it wasn't a clean fit and it wasn't something where you're like, oh, this marriage is going to work long term. And then you see like DeJounte can leave for nothing next year. So the Hawks gave up just a cornucopia of assets and picks to bring him in. And you're like, do you really sell low? Like there's a reason he's now popped up is like they might trade him this this sure. summer because like you he said, with that. the new CBA and everything, like uh, are you sure you really want to be tied down to Trey and DeJounte um, as you're like guys and then no mid-level and everything else and just believing that that is enough to make it all work i just look at it in terms of a basketball fit where i'm like i don't know if those two those two guys might be friends i just don't know if jimmy will love playing with beal and going to war with beal in a in a playoff format i i just i have my doubts we haven't seen beal in a big game in like six years yeah it's like it's hard to say what he it's easy to say in theory oh yeah he could get back to be the shooter that he was as a young player he could get back to being the level of defender he was as a young player when the games actually mattered before he became like the on-ball guy but like Mm. what team gets away with this all the time yeah every time one of these guys goes there they're the best versions of themselves we saw kevin love playing like real minutes in the nba finals Mm. kyle lowry was probably the one example where it actually didn't work out in the way that people had anticipated it Mm. but Lowry's like 37 years old like Mm. even PJ Tucker at 36 was like maximized there like so many guys go there and they become the best versions of themselves because they basically they they know the guys to target they sit down with them before and they say look like you gotta buy in like Mm. you gotta buy in you're gonna be like it's just, it's just like I watch Gabe, Gabe Vincent, what he's doing right now, and I watch Tyler Hero and players who are just like much less talented than Bradley Beal, and I'm like, put Bradley Beal or and like people were talking about Damian Lillard in that system too, like put either of those guys in there, and it's like best of luck to the rest of the league. Like maybe mm. it does come down to like the the fit isn't quite clean enough if Beal can't get back to being the level of shooter that he was mm. because they already. Ha- their two best players don't shoot threes. Like, yeah, Jimmy Lillard's only- a much better fit, I think. There, and Lillard's I think a fantastic fit, pretty much wherever he goes. I feel like, but uh, yeah, like I mean, he's- probably not Atlanta. I- I'm good on sure, that. Dude. Sure, like, but, I, like, uh, one of, he's one of the twelve best players in the NBA. So you change your team mm-hmm. to build around Dame in in the way the ninety nine percent of the league is not worth changing your team for mm-hmm. Damian Lillard's one of the twelve best players in the league. So you're you're willing to work with that. I think that like. I just know we're going to be sitting here in six months being like, oh, the Heat are in second place in the East and Beal is averaging 28, an efficient 28 a game <laughs> and they have a top 10 offense again, even though like, they, despite the fact that like they just were one of the worst offenses for the league, except for the seven games they hit 50% of their threes in the playoffs. Like, So what do you so what do you think Maury does? Because I just don't see him sitting on his hands. Like, you know, we're nearing and look, I don't want to scare you or sound the alarm here when it comes it's to it's over, dude. I'm not, I'm done, dude. I, I, I genuinely just think it's done. It's over. What's over. At, this window is done. So you think the window's their, over their win. This last year was their opportunity and they blew it, man. So it's what do you do if like you're a GM right now? What do you do if you're in more shoes this summer? You what trade do you trade Tobias Harris for two bigger contracts that might be a little bit longer? Uh, 
to your Atlanta Hawks, maybe if they want to get off Collins and Hunter, and you tr- you throw in DeAnthony Melton and maybe a, a future protected first or something, and then hope mm. that that works because those guys might just need a new change of scenery. Like we see every year with these guys like Aaron Gordon and Wiggins and whatever. Like that's your chance. And mm. you hope that Joel Embiid is healthy and can be a better playmaker in the playoffs. Like th- those are your two chances. And like, I don't know. You can change the role players. You can change the coach. You can change whatever. I just think that a James Harden, Joel Embiid team in the playoffs is going to have an, a conference final ceiling. And unless Joel figures out his playoff stuff next year, it's done. Like it's like, I, I've sat here and speculated for four years on how it could be different. And every year it's the same, no matter who the role players are, no matter who the coach is, no matter who the second star is, no matter what, like it all comes down to Joel just carrying the team. And he's just proven that he can't really do that. So let's say that they sign Fred Van Fleet. They okay. let Harden walk. Sure. They give Maxi an elevated role, mm-hmm. trade Tobias for picks and assets and role players. And then it's just all throughout Joel. He stays healthy, high usage, probably a lot of minutes with Nick Nurse. Like, does that have a higher ceiling next year? It's probably about the same. Once again, I think it's going to come mm. down to Joel. But like, I like the idea. I like the idea of putting players. Because if you're going to go all in on the Joel Embiid experience, which the Sixers are very obviously going to do in this next year, mm. I would rather just get off-ball guys like Maxi mm. Beal, Van Fleet, than go with James Harden, who needs the ball 50 yeah. times a game, 100 times a game, and and being like, oh, no, these two can work together when, like, yes, in the regular season when the pick and roll is working, the Celtics figured that out by game four, and it, the offense was horrible. Like, yeah. Like the the Nets the Nets stagnated their offense in games two and three in that series. The yeah. Nets were not a playoff team. If they played a whole season, they would have won thirty games. Mm-hmm. And they stagnated their offense. Like it's just it's like crazy to me to continue to do the same thing over and over and hope for different results. And like I personally think that if you were going to win with Joel, I would rather go that route. The th- the thing is, is you probably have to dump Tobias for virtually no contracts. So you'd have to you'd have to find a team that has like a like so for example like if they were just like they went to the Spurs I'm just mm. making up an example off the top of my head if they went to the Spurs and they were like send us Doug McDermott so we can have a shooter off the bench and then you take Doug McDermott's twelve million Tobias is like forty million goes out the door you can have a road to cap space to sign Fred Van Fleet and maybe one other player. Mm. Uh, and then from there it's like okay so now you have like Fred Van Fleet Tyrese Maxey uh, Jaden McD- uh, Jalen McDaniels, who you know was up and down for the team last year, but I think he could be like a solid wing. Mm. PJ Tucker, Embiid, uh, Melton, whatever. Like it's still not like championship level, but like at least you're trying something different. You're mm. trying like, more athletic guys, guys who are going to put up a ton of threes, like Fred Van Fleet and hopefully Tyrese Maxey, like guys that are just going to be able to function with the ball without the ball and. People are mad at Doc Rivers right now for going on Bill Simmons' podcast and literally just spitting facts about James Harden. And being he was like, also oh. awesome. That was one of the best podcasts. Like podcast. Doc is incredible on he podcasts. He's media full time. Yeah. He's really good at it. Like, mm. and that's we always joke when he was Sixers coach that he was a politician and yeah. that like he works the media because he he could be a media. Man. But I don't even think and, he's like politician like because he's he's real. He's like. It's not. It doesn't feel fake, and it does. It feels genuine. The coach, it does because yeah. he backs up his guys, and yeah. he's like 
whatever. When he is fired, he just lets it go. Yeah. Like, he's just like, whatever, I'll, I'll let it fly. But, I mean, look, I'm not saying that it's imp- – and he said it on here. Like, Joel – it all comes into Joel getting to the point where he makes his teammates better. Mm-hmm. And, like, he has not really done that at the highest levels. Like, in the regular season, he has times. And at the highest levels, James Harden doesn't commit to playing off, off the ball. He has defensive struggles. And those things are things that, and he doesn't want to do the ball movement thing, which has been, which has been a big part of Nick Nurse's offenses in Toronto. Mm. And like, this comes down to getting a guy who's never bought into anything but what he's really good at until this past year when he kind of slightly sacrificed his role for whatever. And he was great at it in the regular season, but once again, fell apart in the biggest moments. And like, yeah. I just think that like trying the same thing over and over and hoping for different results is just going to like dr- drive us to all to insanity. It's also interesting too, that like, I think, uh, what is his name? Rico Hines, Reno Hines, yeah. who's like apparently Pascal Siakam's best friend. Um, I wonder what that means. Like, cause you know, slop city over here. Does that mean like it just, I mean, Nick nurse, obviously moving over helps things, but like, he's going to have some guys. I just don't think there's any way that Nick nurse does not bring one of Fred Van Fleet and or Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi or OG like so they one are of able, those three is ending up in Philadelphia. That would be like if they if they brought back Harden and they were able to swing a deal for like like Maxi going out with Van Fleet and OG coming back, Max, building a deal around Maxi and Tobias like that. Way. I mean that's pretty fun though, right? Like it's, it's still Harden and Embiid, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, hmm. it's it's it would be a very don't get me wrong, it would be a very good team. Yeah. From everything I've heard, they do not want to trade Tyrese Maxey, and I'm glad they don't because yeah. I think that I just think that like you can't you can't blow up your team every single year. Like you can remove one guy, two guys, you can't just change the entire team over the course of an off season. Like I would be fine with letting Harden walk and trying to keep the remaining core pieces and maybe bringing in one or two more guys. But like Joel has had seven different like. <laughs> second guys third guys fourth guy like it's it's every year we blow up the roster and we turn it over until this past year really that's the one argument you would have for keeping everything together but like from everything i've heard van fleet and nurse have an amazing relationship and like Mm -hmm. really respect each other and i think that there have even been toronto reporters that have suggested like he's going to be interested in joining the sixers like Mm -hmm. which if harden's coming back then like i don't know what that means like does that mean that like because Maxi is not if, if Van Fleet's interested and they're interested in Van Fleet, Maxi could be moved in a Tobias deal for like someone that I brought up earlier, like a Paul George or something like that. Mm. Like that's where it gets to the point where it's like, do you entertain those things? Do you make this one last push and just and hope that it is, you know, the right move that you're making, which I, I still think they're gonna keep Maxi, but like those are the kind of opportunities that they'll probably be looking at this offseason. Everything I've ever heard about Nurse and Siakam is that they do not like each other. And that hmm. they, like, they, they butted heads three or four times. When uh, Adrian Griffin got the job for the Milwaukee Bucks this offseason, hmm. every Raptors player like congratulated him, and none of them congratulated Nick Nurse, except for Fred Van Fleet in that interview when he said, hmm. oh, I'm happy for him, whatever. No, like They all posted on social media about how great it was Adrian Griffin got a job none of them posted about Nick Nurse. So that kind of tells you a little bit about his relationship outside of Fred Van Fleet. And I think the Fred Van Fleet thing is more that like he helped develop Fred and like they had a good working relationship going back to his days when he was an assistant in Toronto. So I think he respects Nick in that regard in a way that the other players might not have really seen eye to eye with him. 
which is kind of interesting because he like he made Van Vliet a lot of money. He probably wow. made OG Ananobi a lot of money, Pascal Siakam a lot of money. It's kind of interesting. Um, and like Nurse, n- Nurse has this reputation for not being like the easiest guy to get along with. Yeah. And like Sixers fans hated a lot of the stuff that Doc does, but like everything I hear that Raptors fans complain about Nurse is the same thing that we complained about Doc. Like yeah. he loves his guys too much. He plays them, but like. At the end of the day, when you're trying to build a relationship like he did with Fred Van Fleet, like you gotta trust your guys. And like Doc said it on that interview with Bill Simmons. He's like, What am I supposed to do when James Harden and Joel Embiid are playing like shit in the big game? <laughs> like, like, what am I gonna do? Just be like, oh no, let's throw the ball to Tobias Harris. Like, mm. I'm going down with the ship with my guys. Most coaches are like that. And like yeah. when the superstar plays great, like Jimmy Butler did against the Bucks, or Giannis did against the Suns in the finals, or Jokic did throughout this whole playoff run, the, the coaches look like geniuses. It always cracks me up too, like last year, was it last year or two years ago with the Paul Reed backup center minutes where Sixers fans were so annoyed we at like, what? yeah, but it was we like, <laughs> but I'll be like, if Embiid's hurt, it doesn't matter. Like if yeah, Embiid can't, totally right. That was the whole thing where it was just so far. I'm like, it really doesn't matter if Embiid's not healthy. Like, it just, you know, none we of this matters. DeAndre Jordan go on the court and yeah. Paul Millsap, and we were like, these are the worst players in the NBA. <laughs> Why are they playing? And and then they, and then Paul That's Reed NBA champion DeAndre Jordan to you, sir. What's that? That's NBA champion DeAndre Jordan to you, That's sir. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congrats. I mean, by all accounts, a very good guy from what I've heard. Yeah. But like, ultimately, what this comes down to is like, we were right about Paul Reed and we were right about Charles Bassey and Isaiah Joe, who they cut yeah. for nothing because Doc would never play them. And they're both rotation players on other teams now. Yeah. Like, that was the one thing about Doc that drove us insane is that it wasn't that he didn't play young players. It's that it's December <laughs> and you're not giving the opportunity to experiment ever. Yeah. Ever. Not, not a single time will we see Paul Reed play with Joel Embiid or be the backup or Isaiah, Isaiah Joe only played when guys had COVID. And like, yeah. this is why vets love Doc, though. It's like they knew that Doc yeah. was not going to, in December, be like, all right, it's time to play Isaiah Joe. You need to sit down, Wesley Johnson. Right. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's time. But in the new NBA, like, there's yeah. so many games. Look at what the Heat just did. Yeah. The Heat, the Heat rested their guys and they were injured all year and all this stuff. And then they're fresh, fresh legs for the playoffs. Like, yeah. Why aren't you doing that in the middle of December and January when it's the dregs of the season? And like, who knows? Maybe you'll find a Gabe Vincent or a Max Struess or these guys that they've been playing since they were the the first year that they got. Orlando Robinson was the backup center for... Do you know who Orlando Robinson is? That's not a real player. He, He was the backup center for the Miami Heat in December. And guess what? He sucked. And they figured that out by January or February, but they actually gave him an opportunity and they played him and they went out and they signed Zeller, who also was not good, but was at least somewhat playable. Yeah. And like, this is the, these are the things that like, this is what separates Spo from every other coach in the NBA. Every mm. other coach is like, I'm not playing young guys. I'm not experimenting during the regular season. And then they're all like, oh, wait, what? Uh, Dwayne Dedman can't play in the second round? Like, mm. yeah, duh, he sucks. He's why. Like, this is why I think it drives me so insane when coaches do this. Like, it, yeah. you have to give that, you have to be creative during the regular season so that you're ready to go by the playoffs. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because, like, to bring it full circle with Nurse and Doc, it's like the biggest issue with, Nur- with Nick Nurse was that, like, I mean, when you read the tea leaves and they bring in a quote unquote player development guy and someone who can, like, 
handle playing young guys because like the Malachi Flynn stuff not working out and just well, Malachi Flynn is just not good. And right. I, I, he got the opportunity. He's played two thousand minutes in his career. Like, yeah. like, like at least Nurse tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just always look back at it. And I'm like, I feel like Nurse, the man won a title. He's like, he came up through the G League ranks. Like, if there was one coach who I would assume would be more uh, comfortable um, playing a lot of G League guys and being uh, flexible in terms of who he plays, yes, I think Nurse would probably be on that list. But I, like, I just wonder when Sixers fans, it's like he comes in. It's like, is he gonna still do the 40 minutes for seven to eight guys? And he's not gonna. It's just gonna be a different version of Doc not playing different guys experimenting or is it gonna like i just i'm very curious what nick nurse does here in job number two in philly in his defense go look at the minutes from the 2018 through 2020 teams yeah he didn't do this it was Mm. when they had depth that he trusted and even he played young guys og was in the rotation fred van fleet was in the rotation like these are not guys that are and and precious started for them in the playoffs last year at 21 years old like it's not like if he trusts you and he likes what he sees, he will play you. Now, mm. maybe maybe Malachi Flynn wasn't developed correctly under him and, and Malachi Flynn will be better, but he did get the opportunity to play. And that was yeah. the thing that separates him in my mind is that like at times he needed to play those guys and he did when when the opportunity came. Having said all this, like go go look at those rosters. The minutes were totally normal when they had seven or eight guys. I think that he was at odds with what the front office was trying to build because mm. no one knows this, but Nurse is an offensive coach. He's not a defensive coach. He's mm. become the defensive coach because he was given defensive rosters. Mm. And I think that that's where the differentiation was in his mind was that he had to become this defensive guy that he is not really the core of his identity with the Raptors because they just kept drafting six, eight long guys who can't shoot who, who can barely dribble and like it kind of came to a head this past year when like they don't have Kyle Lowry to fall back on anymore. Fred Van Fleet had a shooting slump uh, and they didn't have a center on the whole roster until they traded for Jakob Pertl. Yeah. So like they, all of their flaws were on display this year. And I think that the, the main thing that I'm most encouraged by with the nurse hiring, and maybe it is just a different version of doc. I don't know. I can't say until I've seen it, but like, the main thing I'm encouraged by is that Nurse is a big analytics guy and Maury's a big analytics guy. So at least they'll see eye to eye on that thing. And then mm. I think that if they if he's involved with roster moves, which people say Doc was, but I don't really think he was. Hmm. I think he was only involved in who actually got to play and like Maury would like, okay, well, if you're not going to pe- play Charles Bassey, I'll just cut him. Like, mm. and we'll bring in Montrez Harrell because you'll actually play him. So... Like, that is the one thing that I hope that Nurse and Maury are on the same page with who's going to play, what the play style is going to be, how many minutes. And and then, like, if there is a guy that's on the team right now, like, I think that, like, the one thing that Nurse really likes defensively as a coach is he loves to put pressure on the ball. He loves to make get turnovers because then he can get open court opportunities that, like, that's something that the Sixers have not really been great at outside of, like, individual players like Matisse Thibel and who's now been traded, D'Anthony Melton, those guys. But, like, I think you could see Paul Reed getting a real lift in minutes. Uh, Jalen McDaniels could get a real lift in minutes if they're both on the team next year because of this. So, like, the idea is that at least they'll be on the same page with the roster. And that's mm. that's what I hope at least. I like it. We'll end on a positive front here. All right. 
We'll end on positive front. What was the most underrated aspect to Embiid's MVP season this year? That for folks that did not watch all 82 games plus the postseason, what did they miss about the greatness and the kind of season Embiid had? Well, it's really funny because now I see... First off, if you listen to my podcast all year, I said Jokic has arguably, if not a better argument, just as good of an argument as Embiid, and I think they're both worthy MVPs. Mm-hmm. And then Jokic didn't try for the last month and a half of the season, and people got mad that Embiid won when he was like busting his ass so that the Sixers could get a better seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denver had the number one seed locked up, but the Sixers yeah. had a better record. So it was like... It, it was one of those things where, like, I think that people are now rewriting how great of Embiid's season was because Jokic won the title. But, hmm. like, it's, it, the argument isn't who's the better player because I think Jokic has very made it very clear, at least at the higher levels, hmm. that he is the best, if not the best player, second to Giannis in the NBA right now in terms of being the best player. Hmm. But this MVP season from Embiid, the best thing for me is something that just disappeared in the playoffs again which is what drives me insane but Mm. the positive the positive about it is he in late game situations his decision making was so much better his conditioning was better and his scoring was just on another level and he was like other than De'Aaron Fox he was the second clutchest player in the NBA in terms of game winning shots Mm. he he coming into this year he had only had two in his entire career and he had like seven this year Mm. and he and he was down the stretch of big games, being very quick with decisions, either fi- finding the right pass if they sent the double, always hitting these clutch middies in, in big game opportunities, hitting like just pristine decision-making on the defensive and offensive end, end of games. And honestly, the one thing I will say is not really his fault. He got injured again. And when he got injured, he's talked about this on the record a hundred million times. When he gets injured, he gets out of shape very quickly. Because hmm. he's a huge dude. And if he injures his knee, he can't do cardio in the same way that he can. Hmm. When when it's an upper body thing, he's usually like fine because he can still do cardio and stay in shape or whatever. If it's a lower body injury, he always gets out of shape. And when he came back in the Celtic series, the end of these games, his decision making was not good because he was out of shape and making the wrong mistakes and doing the things that weren't happening throughout the most of the regular season in the net series. So that's the one thing that I think that you can at least look positively if that he ever can stay healthy is that it does feel like that demon that has kind of haunted him in the past has been solved at least in the regular season. And you just hope that it transfers over into the playoffs. I like it. Um, TBD, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over on the YouTube page, the Patreon page? Uh, What can uh, the good folks do to support everything you got going on each and every day? Yeah, so subscribe to the YouTube, you know ball with Trill Bro Dude. Um, playback, we're doing streams all throughout the offseason on there. We do, we're doing one on draft night. We'll do some free agency streams. That's basically, you could just follow, it's just like, it's kind of just like YouTube or Twitch, but like, mm. we'll put, we, we just like pull up things on screen and we talk about like the news that's happening. And then during the season, we do live streams during games and you can watch the games with us. And then, yeah, if you like all that content, subscribe on, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, and uh, sign up for the Patreon. There you go. Do it. TBD, thank you as always for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, bud. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.